We're going to look at the Bible and, uh, and look at Jesus' prayer. And the reason I'm doing this is because um, any talk about unity has to, has to come out of the Bible. An understanding of unity must come from uh, what, what we understand from the gospel. So we're going to look at John 17. And if you turn to, uh, I'll see what page it is in, in the Bibles that you guys have. 903. Uh, I just want to give you a little bit of a background of, of this, this prayer. So it takes place in the context of the upper room. Uh, it is the night before Jesus is going to go, uh, he's going to be arrested and go to the cross. It's the night of the Last Supper. And Jesus um, prays. And the extraordinary thing about this passage is that we are eavesdropping. We're listening in as Jesus prays to the Father. So you, so you, hear, the, you hear the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, and it's revealing of the very heart of God, the heart of what's happening in the Trinity in chapter 17. That's why it's such a privilege to be able to read that chapter. <clears throat> and uh, and Jesus allows the disciples, he brings the disciples into that. So they they are there in the upper room hearing him pray um, to the Father. And if you, if you were to break this up, <clears throat> the easiest way to do it is to go from verses 1 through 5, which is about Jesus praying for himself and is praying for his glory. <laughs> Because that is what reveals the Father. That's how we know God, is as Jesus is glorified. And then the second thing he prays is in verses 6 through 19. And that's praying for his disciples. And, um, <clears throat> and we're going to see, well, we won't actually spend time on that. But I, I do want to say that in that prayer for the disciples, he is also praying generally for us as well. And the reason I say that is because a lot of what he says in, 19, in that prayer between 6 and 19, those verses, is echoed in 20 through 26. But I want to particularly look today at just seven verses, 20 through 26, because in that third part, having prayed for himself, having prayed for his disciples, Jesus prays for all who will believe. And that's what we want to look at right now. Um, <clears throat> Kurt, would you like to stand up and, and read that, um, that little passage? 22. To 26, to the end. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. Um, and what I'm going to do in looking as I go through this is I'd like to really ask you to think about uh, the local congregation here at St. John's, but also about the wider fellowship we have in the Anglican Communion as we go through applying what's happening in this passage to that. Uh, so <clears throat> the first thing that, pr that Jesus prays for in verses 20 through 23 is real Christian unity. Now, he's already prayed this up in verse 11 for his disciples. He's prayed for unity. And he wasn't just praying that the disciples might um, not quarrel when he's gone. That's, that's not what he's... He's after something much bigger. 
Uh, he says at the end of verse 21, if you look there, um, that, or at the beginning, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And then you look at down at verse 22, it says um, that they may be one even as we are one. God the Father and God the Son are one. And then you look down in verse 23, and again it's repeated a third time, that they may become perfectly one. Uh, and so you have this um, uh, strong prayer for unity. Uh, that every single person who believes in Jesus through all of history will experience that unity. Uh, now, this is, this is learner's exchange, so I want there to be a bit of exchange here. Uh, I wonder if, you, if anybody wants to share uh, a time when you have experienced real Christian unity with uh, perhaps with somebody who is very, very different from you, very, very different background, culture, uh, perhaps uh, station in life, uh, and you knew that there was a closeness in relationship with you uh, because of, uh, of faith in Jesus Christ. Does anybody want to share when you've experienced something like that in your, in your life? Yeah, Olaf. In 1976, uh, arriving in the Kremlin, surrounded by the emblems of the communist regime, possible to see on every ancient church building around the Kremlin crosses mm. on tops of buildings. At first shocked me. <laughs> and then going to a mass in the Russian Orthodox Church, what happened when I got into the church was people came and embraced me. Uh. So that was a, a shock. Yeah. But a real sense of unity. Yes, yes. And you'd never met them before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, go ahead. No, if you want another one. Yeah, sure. I would. I would. <laughs> well, I, my husband was teaching at Fusor University in Fujian province. And when they heard that I was a Christian, I was taken to the upper room at the university. They're strong Christians. And it was just, you just felt like you were the angels. And you really felt strong, strong. Unity, as you're saying, with, with these uh, poor fellows who couldn't, they didn't dare to be out in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was very special. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think those are, are, are incredible examples because it, it's not because of any you know, previous experience together, it's not because uh, you, you share you know, common culture, uh, background. It's purely because of a common relationship to Jesus Christ, that there is a recognition that you are brothers and sisters in Christ, not even being able to speak the same language in both your cases, um, and to receive an embrace like that. I mean, that, that, uh, that is extraordinary. And, and this, is, um, this is something that's a, it's a supernatural reality. And this is why Jesus is praying for that. He is, he is praying for that unity to be true for all Christians who believe. And, uh, um, and I want to talk about how that unity begins, uh, what it is, and what it shows, first of all. Um, so that's, that's what he's, he's praying about. And then these are shorter uh, points that I'm going to make before I continue on. But I want you to notice how that... Um, how that unity begins, because in verse 20, he's praying for those who will believe in me. How? Through their word. And so what he's praying for is that um, uh, he's saying that it is through hearing and understanding God's word that we're actually brought into that unity uh, that, that we just heard described. Um, that in a Russian Orthodox church, uh, far, far away, and especially in that politically divided situation, it is the word of God that brought those people to that church, and that brought Olaf there as well. It is the basis of, of unity. It is because people know God through his word. Um, so it's not, real unity does not happen because 
simply because we are baptized uh, or because we read the Bible or because we take communion or because we are very involved in a ministry in the church, uh, it is it is by uh, believing and putting your trust in Jesus Christ, the Jesus of that word, that, uh, that we are brought into that unity. Uh, and so the Jesus we believe is the Jesus of the apostolic message. And that's what the people in China and in Moscow uh, would have completely in common, is that apostolic message. Uh, and we're going to get to this, but the, the problem that led to Anak having to be formed and the situation that we find ourselves now with the alternative structures is that um, the Anglican Church of Canada no longer believed or called authoritative uh, God's word in certain areas. And in fact, when you, when you look at the basis for moving ahead, for example, with same-sex unions, the process necessarily required that you question God's word as being authoritative in all things doctrinal and moral. So, so the studies that would take place is, you know, is the Bible the authority or how is the Bible the authority? And the conclusion that was reached, certainly in our diocese by our bishop, is that the Bible is, is one authority among many. And you look at all of those things and piece them together. Uh, and so the, uh, the word of God was undermined, and that led directly to um, a division. That, that's, what, that's what takes unity away. Uh, and see, the problem with, with, with losing that authority is very easy to create a Jesus that is the, a figment of your own imagination. And of course, often a reflection of what the values of the culture are. Uh, it is not, uh, and, uh, but the authentic Jesus has to be the Jesus of uh, the apostles' message. And that's what Jesus is talking here. And there's an objective, there's an objective and a subjective uh, facet to this. You know, the objective part is what I'm just talking about, that unity is based on the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. But the subjective part of that facet is that we actually must put our trust in him. You know, that there is a living faith. And this is, this is what brings unity. Um, and um, uh, there is a sense in our putting our trust in, in him that, uh, that we, are, we are actively... We are living out this relationship that God brings into our lives, the relationship between us and the Father. Um, so anyway, this is where unity begins. It's apostolic, and it's not negotiable. So the second thing is, what, what is it? Uh, well, very simply, uh, well, let's, let's look at verse 21 at the end again. I'll, this is a key verse. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Now that's an extraordinary thing because it's saying that we, we are learning that just as the Father uh, loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, uh, we are brought into a relationship of loving God the Father and knowing that he loves us as well. And so it's not an analogy. It's not, it's not you know, let's love like this. We are actually brought into um, the very relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in true unity. Um, and that's why, you know, he'll keep going on in verse 22. He'll say, the glory that you have given me as I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. And it goes deeper in verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Uh, you see, this it's a sharing of the life of the Trinity. It's being brought into that life. Um, and, and I think we need to just say a, a quick word about what that life is, because it is about mutual, perfect love within God, the God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why the Trinity is so precious to us, <coughs> because <clears throat> the Trinity existed from before, you know, before time, of course, in all of eternity. And at creation, uh, God, uh, God, out of his love, um, creates everything that we have in this world. Um, um, 
Yeah, I want to. Uh, I want to try to try to simplify this a little bit. God did not. God did not feel as though he needed something more, and so he created humanity. Uh, God is is perfectly sufficient, but God's love, the nature of it, is that it is an overflowing love that uh, that spills over into relationships with those outside of God, uh, outside of the Trinity. And so he created humanity out of that overflowing love. And the very essence of who we are is we are designed to know God. Um, we are designed in the image of God. We are designed to know him. And it is, a, it is this act of love. Uh, and when the fall took place, that overflowing love continued so that God works in the heartbeat of God and what he desires for us and for this world is that we are redeemed from sin, that we are forgiven and brought into that life of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that what he, that's what he's doing now. He's bringing people throughout the world into the circle of God's love through the death and the resurrection of Jesus through his atonement. It, it, the purpose of it is so is completely relational. Um, so real Christianity, a real unity then, uh, comes from being brought into that love, uh, other people. It's a spiritual thing. It's not something that you can construct humanly. You, you can't make a structure that will do that. We can't engineer it. Uh, because God gives it as he brings people into his love. So any structures that are put into place actually have to serve what God is doing in that way. A dr- a people, Jesus draws people close to him. And I'll give a little illustration of that. Um, I'm, I'm sure most of you have been on a Ferris wheel before. And when I think of Ferris wheels, uh, we, we went to Disneyland, our family did, the big trip about a year or so ago. And uh, when I think of uh, Ferris wheels, I think of Mickey Mouse. There's a massive thing that you kept on seeing, this huge Ferris wheel. Um, it was the scariest ride that Catherine went on, by the way. And it's because we happened to get into one of those uh, carriages that actually swing, you know? <laughs> and you feel like you're going to be just flipped right off. But you think of unity in this way that, that we as people in the church... Um, are, are out on the outside spokes of that wheel, of that Ferris wheel. And you think of the hub as being God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As we are far away from God, or maybe don't know, far away from that hub, we are also far away from one another. So each of the spokes of that hub are pretty far apart. But uh, uh, the rim, I should say, are very far apart. But as you are brought <coughs> further down that spoke towards the hub, of course, all of those spokes become closer together as well. Uh, and, and it is as we are drawn into that hub, the life of God the Father, God the Son, that we are brought closer to one another as well. This is true in all our relationships. It's true in marriage. Uh, it's true in, in our friendships and in our church, that as we are drawn into the love of God the Father and the truth that's been revealed in him, we actually are brought close to one another as well. Uh, and that's why, you know, as we bring people into the church um, and to know God himself, we're actually bringing people into a family, uh, into a close relationships of men and women and boys and girls. Uh, so, and then the last thing that I'll say <coughs> about unity is, <coughs> is the third aspect is that Jesus promises in this age to, in this age to continue making the Father known. And I want you to notice this because um, um, there's there's something extraordinary here um, that happens. If you if you read, I'll read twenty five and, and twenty six w- with you. Uh, it says there, "O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you." I know you, and these, that's the disciples, know that, or those that will know you, these know that you have sent me, and I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known <coughs> that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So this is the, the thing. It says the work that God, that Jesus has been delighting to do is throughout this prayer is to make the Father known. 
He loves to do this. He makes himself known through the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're about as our, as the church. Um, and uh, this is a promise that he is going to continue doing this through his disciples, through all those who know God. That means you and I. Uh, he's been doing it for 2,000 years. Uh, he did it when you came to faith, that he, he was continuing this active work in the world. And many of you could tell your testimonies of how... Um, God continued to make himself known by, by making him known to you. Um, and, uh, and this is something that we need to remember because if, if you jump back into, um, let's just look at verse um, 19. It says there, uh, you know, it says, for, they, for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Well, this is a prayer that we will be sanctified in the truth, that we will be set apart into the truth of who Jesus is. Why? So that God will continue to to make himself known through us. And so the promise that Jesus is making there is actually a promise that directly involves you and me, that we are actually to live out the distinctive love for Jesus, to serve the world uh, by serving Jesus together and by actually speaking of this apostolic truth, this message that brings unity. And so we need to really pray for one another that this Christian fellowship of St. John's will be what Jesus prayed it would be, um, that it would be something that is united in Jesus. One, uh, one just as God and the, uh, the Father and God the Son are one. Uh, this is actually our work. This is what we are about. It is the result of being faithful uh, to Jesus. Now, there's the, there's the basis. Those are nice pictures. <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's a very quick thumbnail basis. And, uh, <coughs> and I, I want you to notice that, uh, you know, the reason the world is quite affected by this. It says, you know, we... We, we learn in this passage that if you look at it, that the world will know that Jesus has been sent by the Father by our own unity. And what is, what is meant by that is when the world looks at an organization, like the church, they think, well, you know, it's like, it's like the tennis club. So it's, like, it's like the golf club. People have a, a common interest and uh, they like each other because they're, they're doing the same activity. But when the, when the world sees people who are very different from one another, who would not naturally be in the same place even, uh, who would not naturally be in relationship with each other, who may not even speak the same language, when they see them loving each other and giving themselves over to one another in love, and there is unity around who Jesus is, the reality of Jesus, the world stands up and takes notice. There is something distinctive and different about this uh, club <laughs> uh, called the church. So I, that's a segue into uh, the Anglican Communion because the Anglican Communion is that. <laughs> you know, it has many, many different com- um, cultures. Uh, I was, I'm going to talk a bit about my time in, in uh, Nairobi, but there were, there were delegates from 40 countries 40 countries that were there. And, and uh, the thing that's interesting about the Anglican Communion is you have different cultures, different languages, but very different churchmanships too. <laughs> so, <coughs> so our Malawi sisters who are coming in a couple of weeks, um, their services will often have incense and uh, will look very Catholic in, in a lot of ways. They're preaching the same gospel that we are preaching. Uh, and you will also have Anglicans that, that look pretty close to a Baptist church that you'll see in places, or a, or a Pentecostal church. And you, uh, you have this all within the Anglican communion. And it can be a powerful sign to the world of the reality of Jesus, that God the Father sent Jesus into the world. And so this is <coughs> potentially a great strength of the Anglican church. And uh, I'm going to give you some th- information that you may know already. And that is that there are four instruments of unity, sometimes called instruments of communion, uh, in the Anglican Church. One is, one is the Archbishop of Canterbury. 
Um, and he is a real focus for unity because he's the president of the primates meeting, um, or he calls the primates meeting. He's the president of the Anglican Consultative Council, and he also calls the Lambeth Conference as well. And I'll talk briefly about each of those instruments of unity, which are really meant... Um, well, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. And I just want a, a quick view of the Anglican Communion. <coughs> uh, <coughs> this slide cut off Canada, unfortunately, and, and Northern. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no message there. That PowerPoint was sending me, I don't think. But... Um, but what, what it shows is that the Anglican Communion is, is divided up into dioceses, but also uh, groups of dioceses called a province. So uh, this is a province, this is a province, Canada and the U.S. are, but we as ACNA uh, overlap that. And of course, this is unprecedented in, um, in Anglican history. Uh, this is the southern cone that we were first attached to, where uh, Greg Venables was. So, <clears throat> you know, you've got Argentina, Chile, and all these countries up here too, Peru, and, um, uh, and Brazil is one. We have this part of um, South America, that is. And then uh, this is all one province, and that's the Anglican Church of South Africa, Southern Africa. Uh, and that includes several countries there, you know, South Africa, Angola. <coughs> um, I'll tell you about Angola. There's a, when I was, um, uh, this was a number of years ago, I was still in Pender Harbor, and I got a call, 10-year ten ten year anniversary uh, of my, uh, uh, my high school reunion, high school uh, graduation. And so the uh, yearbook was calling me to get information. They called very early. They thought it was 9 in the morning in... Uh, it was 9 in the morning in uh, West Virginia, so <laughs> I was tired at 6. It woke me up, and she asked me all these questions, and I think I probably wasn't entirely uh, um, clear. But anyway, got, my friends got your, the yearbook, and, uh, and people wondered what I was doing, and it says under occupation, uh, Angolan priest. <laughs> So I got lots of calls. How did you become an Angolan priest, and <coughs> what is that? <coughs> but this is um, this is this is all one uh, uh, one province. This is the di- this is the province of Central Africa where Malawi is, and that includes um, a number of uh, of places as well. Like, um, well, Zimbabwe is there, Zambia, and uh, uh, Malawi, as well as. Um, Plus one, I think, is there. Yeah, and yeah, and then uh, and then you get this this province here, which includes um, th- these are all separate provinces. So each country is that's what that means. So there's Tanzania and there's Sudan as well, and our Republic of Congo. This is all one province that goes here, here, and here in the Middle East. So this is this is one diocese here. This is where. Um, which break up into smaller little places, but that's where Munir is. He's the archbishop of that area. Uh, but this is all one province based in Jerusalem. Uh, and th- this is all the Southeast Asia is one area too. It includes Nepal. So there, and that area is really you know missionary stuff. But all the blue ones, they're separate provinces. Each of those uh, countries have a have a um, province. Um, <coughs> Yeah. So anyway, this is just a, a, a just a quick view of what they're dealing with with the instruments of, of communion. Now, the Archbishop of Canterbury, <coughs> um, as I said, he calls the Lambeth Conference. He chairs the Primates meeting. He is the president of the Anglican Consultative Council, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, <coughs> he is really he has he does not have any legal jurisdiction, but he's really a. a a symbol of unity for the Anglican um, communion. And that's why he, uh, he has an ecumenical role where he represents um, the Anglican church in all of its um, relationships with other Christian churches in the world. He also has an interfaith role. So he, he uh, leads in respect to Anglican relationships with other religions. Okay, so there's the archbishop. Then there's the primates meeting, which all of those provinces I told you about, there's 38 of them, it's each led by uh, a bishop that oversees all of them, and they're called a primate, and that was started in 1978, 
uh, it was an opportunity to l- l- for leisurely thought, prayer, and deep consultation. Uh, and it's it's met regularly since then, often every every year or two. But the importance of those meetings has really increased since the crisis has come up. It's become more and more important. Uh, and you know, the latest one, which is probably the, one of the most important ones, was met in January. And you probably know that what happened there is that um, that the Episcopal Church of the United States was sanctioned. And so they they were, uh, for the next three years, they are not to take part in any of the, the committees of the church or to represent the Anglican Communion in any way. Um, but the Anglican Church, being the Anglican Church, said uh, there's loopholes in this. And uh, so the Episcopal Church has, is coming uh, to what I'm going to uh, show up next, which is, oh, sorry. Um, you know what? I'm missing one slide, so I'll have to tell you about it. There, there is something called the Anglican Consultative Council. And this group, um, the role of that group is called the ACC. It has, it has bishops, priests, and lay people from throughout the world. It's a, it's a fairly small group, but it's meant to facilitate the cooperative work of churches in the Anglican Communion. That's their official title. And they exchange information between the provinces and churches. They, they help to coordinate common action. Um, but it has been paralyzed by disunity uh, around the gospel. And you see that happening in that the, the Episcopal Church is sending a representative there. Uh, and that has caused great concern. Uh, because the primate said, look, we, we've just agreed to this. And, and now you're going against it. Uh, and some of you may know that um, this is this is the 16th, by the way, meeting of this. So there hasn't been a huge number of them, uh, the primates meeting. It's meeting in Lusaka, Zambia. And uh, Bishop, Archbishop Manir, who is based in Egypt, um, is not coming to it. He's He was a key member of it. And he was clear that... <coughs> He says, you know, the instruments of unity in order to have good relationships need to support each other's decision in those areas of responsibility given to them by the Lambeth con- councils. So he's praying for a unity that's based on the truth of Jesus to come out here. But he rightly has stepped back from that to say, this, this actually can't happen. It's actually not an instrument of unity if you're doing this. Um, so that's so that's what's happening right now, and I don't know if anybody have it, has any questions about that meeting or what you know what that means. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah. How do how do people get chosen? Well, that's a good question. Um, they they are they are appointed at at Lambeth, but there's also standing committees that that choose them as as you go along, and there's terms that you. Um, that you serve as well. So I'm actually not sure of all the committees that choose them and where the vote takes place, but there is an influence, which I'm going to get into, from Lambeth um, for those, for those committees. And they are a mix. They're not, but they tend to be, they tend to be dominated because there's, there's uh, not good representation um, by, by liberals. So, you know, for instance, Uganda has has ten times as many uh, Christians going to church as as all of North America combined Anglicans that are going to church. So, but they have the same number of representatives as far as clergy and people who are on these um, committees. So, but that's a good question. I don't know for sure all what the names of the committees are that choose them, uh, but they come out of out of Lambeth too. Any other questions about that? Why does the Episcopal Church want to go? Well, because <laughs> because they are um, um, they are wanting influence, and they see it very important for them to have a place in the Anglican Communion, and it's a denial that that what they are doing is actually against the gospel of Christ. So they. What what has been told them is you have gone against scripture, you have gone against what brings us unity, which is the apostolic message. And it is very hard to accept that. If you hear any uh, any um, 
press releases from the Episcopal Church, they do not acknowledge any wrongdoing whatsoever. They see nothing to repent of. Yet the primates have said, you need to repent. So, you know, it's just acting out of that denial, really. Yeah. What about the Anglican Church of Canada at the moment in the Diocese of Westminster at the moment in comparison to the Episcopal? Yeah, so this is a very good question. So what the reason why the Episcopal Church was sanctioned is because at their last general convention, they officially changed the canon of marriage, the doctrine of marriage they changed uh, and said it is no longer just between a, a, a man and a woman and an exclusive relationship. So... Um, that did not officially take place yet in Canada. So there is a reference to that in the primates meeting in their communication that says this may, the sanction may need to be uh, applied to other uh, jurisdictions that are contemplating the same thing. Well, that's Canada. So, and Canada has stepped back a bit now. The general, the, uh, general synod that's coming up, the bishops have said it's probably not going to pass. <clears throat> so they will continue to do it in an unofficial way, it's, which is underhanded, of course. Yes. In the meantime, is there any statistic how many members are living in the Anglican Church of Canada? Yeah. Uh, there, are, there are more and more statistics. Uh, what The ones that I've seen are often with the U.S., and I think it's similar to Canada, but it's usually between 2 and 3% drop every year. Uh, and, of course... You know, in ten years, you're, that's a thirty percent. So it's it's uh, it's continuing to uh, really, really decline at an alarming rate. Yeah, it seems to be continuing, not uh, not changing. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit unclear about the names of the certain groups, but you, you, you're saying there's a group <laughs> that sanctioned the Episcopal Church. Yes. And is it possible that they want to be unclear in their statements? to such a degree that the Episcopal Church of the USA could ignore or deny that they are being sanctioned? Yeah, Why the, would they make it more clear so that they <laughs> do not deny that they need Yeah, that's a good question. The reason is because each of those four instruments of unity, which have actually been clarified in the last few decades, two decades, because of the crisis. Like, it wasn't, it was just a way of working together. I should tell you that all of the, the the provinces are pretty autonomous. It's like a confederation, the Anglican Communion. Uh, what has, and so the, and the Archbishop of Canterbury is not like the Pope. He doesn't lay down the law, and this is the way it's going to be right now, anyway. So what's happened is that these instruments of unity have been uh, clarified as far as what they are doing more and more. It has been uh, it's been developing. And so what was unclear is how the relationship of the primates meeting with the Anglican Council, Consultative Council are. So the ACC said, look, that primates meeting doesn't have jurisdiction over us. We have a mandate, it hasn't been changed, and therefore we're going to continue on. So you see what's happening is the primates meeting has gaining more and more influence, and the ACC, or the, or the person in charge of it anyway, has not recognized that change. It's just evolved, the, the power of that primates meeting, which makes sense because they're the ones who are actually uh, overseeing you know, big, big parts of the Anglican Communion. They're seeing the effect of the disunity. Uh, but, but that's why it, it's, not, it, it's not absolutely clear how the primates meeting, how the ACC interact with one another. <laughs> so you can get loopholes like that. Yeah. Who's the chair of the Anglican Consultative? I, I can't remember who it is now. Can't remember. Yeah, it, I mean it changes every two years. And is this is this is this person uh, supposedly appointed by either the, the primates meeting or the? Mm-hmm. Or the it's not by the primates meeting. It's by. Uh, it is it is in Lambeth and standing committees within uh, the Anglican Communion as well that do it. Yeah, and all of those structures are often dominated by liberals. <laughs> so, yeah. I can understand why that the fellow from Egypt isn't going to go to the meeting because he's not agreeing with what's happening. But mm-hmm. could he possibly be giving up what might be an important vote? Uh, it's much more important. The statement for him being there and legitimizing them being there uh, is much more important than the vote that he would be giving up. Yeah. 
It's very important what he's done there um, because it, it is a very strong message to the whole communion about what has happened. It's reaffirming what the primates have decided. Yeah. Well, there's a mix on the primates meeting, you know, so so there will be several primates that won't be going uh, that are on the ACC, but not just him. Yeah. So it's it compromises it, and yeah, one more question. Now, because I, I think I'll answer some of the questions on the next slide. Do you think um, the end of the process will be Well, the diocese won't be. Our local diocese, the whole of Canada will be. Uh, so they're very much lumping all of Canada together. So what the what the general synod decides is what will be uh, is what will be responded to by uh, the primates meeting. Yeah. So it's not. It's no longer the case. Really, the diocese of New Westminster is now in the same place that a number of dioceses are. So they're unofficially doing these uh, same-sex blessings. And in quite a number of dioceses, this is happening. I think in, in at least a third of the dioceses, out of the 30, however many we have in Canada, uh, at least 12 of them are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, moving on. Um, now, the Lambeth Conference is the other instrument of unity. It's funny, I left the ACC out. This is the one problem. That was probably something that was unconscious. Freudian or something. But la- so, so the Lambeth Conference is, is where all the bishops in the Anglican Communion meet every 10 years. So there's about 720 dioceses in all of the world for the Anglican Communion. And so all of the leaders of those, the diocesan bishops, are invited to Lambeth. And it's not a governing body, as you say here. It's, it's collaborative, it's consultative, because the Anglican Communion, as I mentioned, is really an international association of autonomous and national and regional churches. Um, and, and you see, this works fine as long as there is that unity that comes out of that, out of that commitment to the message of the disciples. Uh, as long as it's a living reality. But it breaks down once you have large parts imposing um, a revisionist understanding of the apostles' message, right? And what it does, and its purpose is also to express the mind of the communion on issues of the day. And God has used this. This is, this is why the resolutions about human sexuality came out, which are very biblical, which were committed to as an Anglican communion through Lambeth. Um, this, is, this is the mind of the communion. Uh, and I should say, this is very interesting, it first met in 1867 because of a Canadian request mm-hmm. of feeling like uh, we didn't want to be separate from what was happening in the Anglican Communion. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was yeah. great misgivings about doing this, um, <laughs> but they did it, finally. Um, and uh, it has actually been a real instrument of unity so far. Yeah. So, now... <clears throat> What happened, I said so far, is that uh, after that um, after that resolution was made that I told you about human sexuality, uh, between that and the next one in 2008, that's when the crisis came up. And that's where there was a repudiation of what Lambeth actually had said about human sexuality and about the Bible. Uh, so as a result many bishops did not go to Lambeth in 2008 and instead went to the first Gafcon in Jerusalem. And there a lot of them are on the Mount of Olives. <laughs> and, you know, that's a neat picture because it shows you the mix of the Anglican Communion, the, the different races that are there, the, you know, clergy, lay, bishops, everybody all together, worshiping God together. Uh, they, are, they are in unity. But that... A, a number of those bishops, there's about 200 bishops that did not go to Lambeth, so that's a, almost a third, um, and went here. Some of the bishops that went here also went to Lambeth as well. But this, what this was, was a movement, as it says, for unity. That's, that's what uh, GAFCON was about. It's not about a separate Anglican communion. They, always, they, they will always say, we're not leaving the Anglican communion 
we are not leaving the Anglican Communion, we are the Anglican Communion. Very important for us to, because it is a movement for unity. Uh, it is a movement uh, to renew our understanding of the gospel, the true gospel throughout the world. Uh, and that's why, um, that's why GAFCON was started. And a very helpful, <laughs> um, a, a very helpful aspect of that Jer Jerusalem GAFCON was the Jerusalem Declaration. And I do invite you to look at that. If you haven't looked at it before, you just go to fca.net and they have copies of that. Uh, it is very simply um, reflecting Jesus' prayer for unity. It is a call back to the message of the apostles. It is a call back to that supernatural unity that comes from knowing God. It's about renewing this understanding of the gospel in the lives of all the churches. And it's a call for repentance. Both GAFCON meetings had repentance at the very center of it. Of, of us who were there, as well as a call for repentance for those who have wandered from the faith. So it's a very important movement because it highlights repentance and it highlights mission into the world. Um, does anybody have any questions about, about GAFCON? Um, that's a mistake, by the way. We actually joined Anik in 2008. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> um, but you see, what happened was that our leaving in 2008, interestingly, coincided. GAFCON happened two or three months later. Mm -hmm. So it's like God just brought this thing up at this time uh, because we are brought into the unity of, uh, of, of the gospel through that. Yes? So GAFCON means um, Global Anglican Futures Conference. It was actually a conference. So if you say GAFCON conference, you're saying conference twice. <laughs> but, uh, but what that was is an expression, and it actually brought about something called the Fellowship of Confessing Anglicans. So it's delegates from those confessing Anglicans from around the world. And there were about 1,200 of them, including uh, 290 bishops. Uh, and then the second GAFCON was, was larger than that. Um, and, uh, and, but I just I wanted to highlight the timing of those two things of, of St. John's joining Anik and this coming up and, uh, and that's where um, you know it's a, those two things that I just mentioned uh, GAFCON and Fellowship of Confessing Anglicans are, they're, they're very much the same thing and it represents at least 35 million Anglicans uh, around the world and what they did in 2009 was they gave formal recognition to ACNA, which is we're part of our province in North America, uh, and its orders, in other words, the ordinations, and it welcomed it as a full partner province. So the Archbishop of Canterbury does not still yet accept us, but you see movement towards that. So at the primates meeting, uh, our primate for the ACNA was present, was invited there to that primates meeting, which is very significant. Yeah. Can you tell me what, what what is the distinction that confessing Anglicans is? What's the difference between that and Well, all that is is that it is that they this group wants people to sign up for the mission of the church. So it's not so you can online just simply sign up in churches as well to be part of this fellowship, and there's no dues. There's no. Uh, it's just signing on to the D Jerusalem Declaration, which is signing on to the gospel. And so they're wanting people to commit to um, being Christ-centered, being about a gospel mission to the world around them, and to living out the life of Christ. It's really basic. <laughs> uh, it's something that all Anglicans are actually normally meant to do. But in this age of uncertainty... It's really articulating and being clear about it. Uh, and what it does, too, is, is it actually brings people together to strengthen one another in that mission of renewal in the church and mission to the world. And there's a lot of very challenging mission situations that people find themselves in, including us. We're in one of the most challenging ones because <laughs> we're dealing with secularism around us. Uh, they're also dealing with militant Islam, which we're going to uh, talk about in a minute, too. Uh, as well as um, 
syncretism. So that mission is difficult, and and you know that fellowship actually is helping one another in it. Um, yeah. Do any of the sanctioned people try to get to that meeting? Uh, they'd be welcome to come. It'd be great to have them sign on. Um, uh, you know uh, what you what you have is. Um, Anyway, they, they, they probably wouldn't feel comfortable in some ways, but they'd be welcome to come. They would need to sign Why? on. They would need to sign on to the Jerusalem Declaration, though. And they, they wouldn't. You couldn't in good conscience. So, yeah. It just seems to me that this kind of inclusiveness is, seeing, is seeding disunity. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get unity right. within the organization. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, cut it out. Right. Right. You know, so letting them come or acknowledging that you have things in common with them is counterproductive. Mm-hmm. The AFCON sounds to me like a much more productive way of arriving at unity uh, than all of this bureaucracy. Yeah, well, I may not have been clear. The Fellowship of Confessing Anglicans are is GAFCON as well. And you, in order to join that, you have to sign on to the Jerusalem Declaration. And there is no liberal who could sign on to it in good conscience. Yeah. No. So is that not a better instrument for unity exactly. than some of this bureaucracy? Absolutely. Because oh, you see, yes, you're, you're exactly right. It, it is a movement, and that's what, it, that's what they call themselves. It is a movement of unity because it is a movement of the gospel, back into the gospel. Uh, and you've put your finger on it. That's exactly what it is. It, it is a far more effective instrument of unity than those four I mentioned. Yeah. 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 So why bother with the rest? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know. We're like, the people. David Short said, did I have trouble with, you know, any of the things I've learned about it? I said, I have no trouble with the theology. I have a whole lot of trouble with the ecclesiology. Yes, because but... I came from yes, a tradition that but, didn't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, but if you have that unity, that supernatural unity that comes from a commitment to the truth, which it has to be on, those four things can be a servant to that happening, which is what it originally was intended to do. But of course, once you come into a, a, a crisis where you are giving up on the gospel, then they become, those structures became, in some ways, they can become obsolete almost. Now, it's still a minority that, that, are, that are against this, but they're, they're, they are wreaking havoc in the communion <laughs> right now. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's not the structure that itself that is bad. It is the leaving of the gospel that is bad. In fact, these things have been powerful ways for us to, to maintain our hold on the gospel. Yeah. How many Anglican churches are there in Canada? Seventy-two. Now, some of them are some of them are quite small. So, you know, of those seventy-two, um, about twenty-five to thirty would be self-supporting. Yeah. So it's small. It's a it's a mission beginning mission organization. So our church, our our diocese is one diocese uh, amongst. Uh, I can't remember how many dioceses there are now in ACNA, um, but uh, it's close to twenty anyway. Yeah. Well, this is the interesting thing, even. Uh, that's that's people who have signed on to that. There's also something called the Global South, which a number of those haven't officially signed on. Individuals have, uh, but they haven't signed on because they don't they don't want to rock the boat too much. As far as you know, they're nervous about there being a split, but they're completely in agreement with the Jerusalem Declaration and have great relationships with with uh, Gafcon. So there's then there's another. You know, who knows how many? Probably 20 million. The, the total number officially of the Anglican Communion is 75 to 80 million. But that includes, you know, England. They, everybody who says otherwise, who, who doesn't say otherwise, is an Anglican, right? <laughs> so, um, but, you know, of the church, that's the thing, of the church-going Anglicans, 90% would be very much in line with what Gafcon is, is, is saying in Jerusalem Declaration. That's the great hopeful thing. But there needs to be a concerted movement of unity so that we are not derailed by some powerful groups like Canada and the United States. Um, and that's why that movement's so important. 
Yeah. Yeah. After the um, primate statement came out, our friends, you know, our friends at this church went to the cathedral church guest preacher, and it came to me as a warning of how fierce this dispute is. Mm-hmm. That their official response at the cathedral, uh, which was very, very angry, but I'm not in the character. Was that here? Yes, yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. they re- they said, "Let us continue to pray for our enemies yeah. in this battle." Yeah. So they, it has become. I think that should be humble us. Would you agree? Yeah. We must be patient and kind. Yeah. And, s- and faithful. But yes. Realize the fierceness of the yes. feelings about this. That's right. Issue. Yeah. What we have to remember, and this is, you know, Sheila, you asked about why, you know, these people are in those positions and why they would want to go to the ACC, it is because they really see that as their gospel. Uh, progressive human rights, as they understand it, is the gospel. And and they see that as the future of our church. You know, that we will be all enlightened one day to this true gospel. But you see it as a different gospel, of course, right? And that's, um, and that's why there's that passionate commitment, because it is, there is that a movement they see that's a godly movement. Yeah, you know, we see it here that in the in the Bible, don't we? That a powerful delusion is sent. Well, this is what's going on. Yeah. There's a very powerful movie in town right now. Uh, it's called the God is Not Dead Two. Oh yes. And you will see the angry mm-hmm. side of the other church mm-hmm. and what it's doing in the schools, what it's doing to families, what it's doing all over mm. North America. Yeah. And then if you look at the uh, the, the different provinces and states mm-hmm. uh, around the world that have been affected by this other gospel, mm-hmm. it's just unbelievable what they're doing, taking people to to court and uh, yeah. You know, it's just it's vicious. yeah. The thing that I found <clears throat> impressive about um, GAFCON and this fellowship is that there is exactly what Harvey is describing. Um, there is a very powerful um, um, humility that, that you see and a recognition of our own need for repentance and really reaching our not only our non-Christian um, Neighbors, but also those who are in complete disagreement in the Anglican Communion, to do that in a in a way that is Christian and loving, uh, but it is standing firm. Like if you read Bishop Manier's <laughs> letter, <laughs> I know, I know, uh, I know Manier. He's a. Uh, I, I had a class with him and his wife, and he is he he is a real example of of humble Christian, powerful leadership. So he's a very impressive guy. But he embodies that, uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah. M-O-U-N-E-E-R. That's his first name, M-O-U-N-E-E-R. Yeah. Yeah, Beth. Um, I have um, dear friends uh, um, who are uh, conservative clergy in the uh, Anglican Church of Canada. Yeah. And... Um, so it's um, um, a difficult situation for, and you probably know this over and over again mm-hmm. across across the country, is figuring out how, what kind of conciliatory, or um, how do we how do we manage? this kind of situation, even in our own city. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we know people who are who, who are, are believers, but they're in a church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, here's, here's an interesting thing, and then I'll have Jim Packer speak, but the uh, <clears throat> in, in GAFCON, in Nairobi, two of the bishops from the Anglican Church of Canada were there. And they were from the Arctic. Now, they were a little bit fairly inexperienced. They said, well, why didn't you invite us? And I said, you know what? If I had, you would have, you would have lost funding, for one thing. Uh, you're going you're gonna to experience fallout because you came here. But they were completely and really enthusiastically uh, um, 
supportive of what's happening here and just thought this is the greatest movement. <laughs> you know, and they're in the, the Canadian House of Bishops. And we do have strong Christian... I mean, I, I was talking to Bishop of Saskatchewan, and he, you know, he, what he sees himself as is somebody like the Global South, and I'm like somebody in GAFCON, you know, taking two different approaches. Um, so that's the way they look at it. And certainly, both of our goal the thing that we both have in common is we want and we pray for the repentance of the Anglican Church of Canada. This is what we hope and pray for all of the time. Yeah. Yes, Jim. I was going to say um, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that money is involved in all of this. Hmm. And the Episcopal Church in the States has tons of money in the bank. Mm Which means, first of all, that their mindset is we finance the uh, younger dioceses Mm -hmm. in the Anglican Communion. Mm -hmm. Historically, they have done a great deal of that. Mm. And it's generated, as Mm. it seems to me, um, a sense of domination, Mm. which, how can I say it, secular... um, the secular leadership of the U.S. Mm -hmm. tends to, how can I say, lapse into, Mm -hmm. in relation to the rest of the world, that's happening all the time, Mm -hmm. and it's a a cultural mindset Mm -hmm. which it will take them a good deal of further time and discussion and, uh, well, just living to get out of. Mm -hmm. Uh, the thought of America as top nation because, um, well, for a number of reasons, but because America has got so much money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That thought is there, Mm. surely, in the situation. Mm. It isn't often verbalized, Mm -hmm. but it's a reality one has to deal with when one's thinking of the place of the Episcopal Church in the Anglican future. Yes. It's something that it seems to me we have to pray will somehow be, when I say, broken down, broken up, dissolved away. Mm. What's needed is some honest Christian humility Mm. amongst the leadership of the uh, Episcopal Church, as well uh, needing that as well as Orthodoxy, you see? Um, and that uh, honest humility is something that only God can give yeah. when they have so much money in the bank. Yeah. That's a, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not answering any questions. Mm-hmm. I'm simply saying this is something to be realistic about. Yeah. Do you not agree? Uh, absolutely. And this is what is. This is why it's a long road. This this renewal movement of GAFCON because it is dealing with those kinds of things. And there's diabolical aspects to how that money is being used. Uh, there there is a desire for influence among vulnerable uh, African dioceses and provinces and so forth. There is pushing liberal um, uh, uh, professors and so forth into. Uh, African and Asian seminaries. So all of that work is being done, too. You have to remember this. And this is another reason why this movement is so very, very important. Um, But that's an incredibly important uh, thing to keep in mind, uh, what's going on. That's why we have to keep prayerful. Okay, so we have five minutes, and I I can see what's happening out in the congregation. They're actually finished. So... um, I'm, I'm going to end there, but I, want, I, I just want to say one thing uh, as we end, um, that, uh, that there, there's, there's three priorities. There's making disciples. For, this is the GAFCON movement from Nairobi. M- making disciples, um, which there's, fair, there's, a, there's a couple aspects to that. One is evangelizing, one's supporting gospel initiatives, one's guarding the gospel, which is what we've been talking about. And the second priority is deepening discipleship. And that's really um, reaching out and how do we deal with aggressive secularism and militant Islam and seductive syncretism. It's all about mission, which is, I want you to notice. And the third priority is gospel transformation, that the transforming effect of the gospel uh, affects society, it transforms society. So there's a real mission focus to this 
move towards unity in the gospel. That's just natural. It just comes with it. Uh, and I wanted to just highlight that as I, as I end uh, and just leave us with this, uh, um, with this prayer again. What, what's, what's, this is what we pray for. When Jesus prays, he is the, we know that a righteous man who prays, that prayer will be answered. Jesus is the perfectly righteous person. So we know that the prayer is actually a promise. And that's a promise to hold on to and pray. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, it is unity for the purpose of the world around us. Uh, and this is why it's such an urgent prayer and the thing that we, uh, we really commit ourselves to uh, in the Anglican context.